Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Doing an Advent series called Gift Exchange. And last week, uh, two weeks ago was more or less an introduction. Last week was new lives for old. He gives us new life and exchange. We give him our old life. We cannot expect to reap the benefits of the new life. And they are listed and they are many. But we cannot expect to reap the benefits of the new life if we are determined to cling to the old life. We have to give him the old life. Now this week is a, a, a little more complicated. As usual... God starts the giving process. This is a fundamental principle. We love him because he first loved us, right? He starts the giving process, but in order to make it work as a sermon title, I had to switch it around. So I'm going to save the title till the end. I'll save the title for later. Uh, But you know this. We'll start with this. You know, I think you do, how much I love the Bible. For years and years and years, I have said that Theology 101 is read your Bible and pray. And there's certainly more to growing in Christ than that, but without reading his word and without communicating with him, we will get absolutely nowhere fast in the Christian walk. We cannot, we cannot, we are not designed to know God's will apart from his revealed word. Can he make himself known to us? Can he speak to us personally things that aren't specifically written in the word? Yes, but everything we hear has to be filtered, has to be interpreted in the framework of his revealed written word. All right? So... Uh, not only I said we'll get nowhere fast, uh, frankly, there's, a, there's also the danger of getting somewhere we don't want to go, get wound up in something uh, pseudo-spiritual. I've, I've referred to this book before. It's kind of a, I, I doubt many people, if anybody here has read it, it was a book called Wieland that I had to read as part of a, a really a history course, history of, of literature in America. It was, it was, uh, Important historically because of the type of book it was, was a, maybe the earliest example of this particular genre uh, in North America. But it involved, it had a heavy religious theme about a guy whose deepest desire was to have God speak to him. He wanted God to make his will explicitly known to him. And so he hears a voice, an audible voice that tells him to do some things. And he gets excited because now he's hearing a voice. He didn't have to wonder. He doesn't have to have a vision explained. Uh, He's actually hearing a voice saying, Whelan, do this. And at one point, the voice tells him to kill his wife and his family. And he does. Because he's always said, it's a story, it's a novel, okay? Not, Not that... Worst things haven't happened. We know this, right? But this guy says, you know, he desired the extreme delight in hearing God's voice. And he figured that God was testing him. You've all, I'm giving you exactly what you've always wanted. Now you have to do what I say. And then, this is the weirdest plot twist in history. Turns out the voice he's hearing was a ventriloquist. Uh, <laughs> who's throwing his voice behind the bushes and things like this, all right? Now, 
Uh, and we had to write a, a huge paper on this, like our final paper for this class was, was on this book. And so I just went to town on it. And, and the thing that we point out and that I point out to you, uh, my main theme of this paper was he didn't have anything to measure this voice against. He's just going, it's a voice and I can't explain its origin. Therefore, it's supernatural and I have to do what it says. Now, you might hear a voice too, and it might not be a ventriloquist. It might be a spirit, but it might not be the right spirit. And it tells you to do something, and if you can't make sense of it, because Whelan didn't delight in killing his family, he delighted in pleasing God. Of God. But if you hear God tell you to do something that, that doesn't seem right, check it against the word. That's why the Bible is given to us. It's so valuable. Anyway, anybody ever hear this? Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Have you heard that? It's kind of cute. Uh, but wow, the Bible is so much more than an instruction book. It's so much more than a roadmap. It certainly does. It certainly does provide instruction. It provides guidance. But it's more than that. It is a record. It's a track record. It's a testimony. You've probably heard this too, that religion has often been defined as man's attempt to reach God. Man's efforts to be right with God. Christianity is the story of God reaching out to man. Christianity is God-initiated. Religion is man-initiated. And we have in the Bible a record of this story of God reaching out to man, a testimony. And if I may be so bold, it's a resume. Hear me out. I was casting about for a way to illustrate this concept, and there isn't a perfect one, and I'll tell you why there's not a perfect one when we get to this part. But here's something I want you to think about. You start with this. You're the owner of a company. It's a large company. It's family-owned. You inherited it. And at one time, it was huge. It was prosperous. And now it's going down the tubes. You're going broke. And everyone that depends on you and this company for a living is hopeless. And in desperation, you put out a call for someone, anyone who can do anything to turn the company around, who can save the company. You put out, we are hiring, you're the chairman, you're the CEO, you have whatever title you want, you have whatever authority you want, if you can just save our company. And you get a stack of resumes on your desk. And in that stack, there's one, an almost unbelievable resume. It's a perfect track record. Every time this guy has taken the reins of a company, he has turned it around. He has made it profitable. No matter what kind of mess the company was in, he comes in, he takes over, and he saves it. He has saved companies from the brink of bankruptcy. He has the Midas touch. You read through this, and you do a little research on him, and every time, every time he has laid out a specific plan, he has gone on to do exactly what he said he would do. Every time. And now he wants to run your company. But there's a catch. He also wants to buy your company. He's willing to sign a contract guaranteeing to keep you on, guarantee your livelihood. He's not a corporate raider who's going to buy the company and sell it off in pieces for a quick buck. 
He sees the value in your company. And as the company prospers, he will take care of you and take care of your employees. Research shows that he's done this before. Every company and every CEO that has accepted his buyout offer has prospered. You have a choice to make. The company and you can survive and thrive, but it won't be your company anymore. Now, this is what the testimony of the word of God is like. It is a record of God's plans. It's a record of God's promises being fulfilled and kept. It's why we read Psalm 136 from time to time. It's a reminder. This is the psalm where every other line is, His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. His mercy endures forever. And then it talks about how he created everything. For his mercy endures forever. Talks about their deliverance from Egypt. For his mercy endures forever. Talks about how God intervened on their behalf and split the Red Sea and and, uh, protected them, sustained them, fought for them, literally fought battles for them. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. It's this great, and and Psalm 136 isn't the only place we see that. This is what they were in the habit of doing, remembering their history with God, everything God had done. It's a resume, it's a history, it's a testimony. More on that in a minute. Here's where the the illustration breaks down a little bit. Our fictional CEO and new owner might have a perfect track record, but in the real world, we have uh, plenty of examples of financial and business gurus failing catastrophically. You know, stockbrokers and other asset management companies are required by the SEC to say what? Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. We can, sell, we can tell you what our company's done in the past. We can tell you why we think it's going to do great. We just can't promise you you're going to make money investing in our company. You see, our fictional CEO can present a record, and he can present a plan, but he cannot make a promise. We see similar situations like this. This is our, you know, little, again, a little imagination, but we see this in the real world too. I don't follow sports real closely, but I just learned of a guy named Garrett Cole signing with the Yankees. Nine-year contract worth $324 million. I saw somebody break this down. That's $9,200 per pitch on average. $110,400 per strikeout on average. One pitcher striking out one batter, and he makes more than most of us make in a year. For every game he starts, he gets over a million dollars for one baseball game. It's phenomenal. And it's a gamble, isn't it? Why are they doing that? Why are they willing to spend that kind of money? Because they believe he's going to produce. They believe it's going to make a difference. It's going to get him to the World Series. He's going to win the World Series. He can't promise that, though, can he? 
Why do they believe it? Why do they think he's worth that? Because of his track record. Because he's done well. They're paying a ton of money, betting that he will continue to do it. But he could be injured. First game. He could die. He could get fat and lazy. He could just lose it. Or he could be a great pitcher and be failed by the rest of the team. It might be smart money, but it's still a roll of the dice. And it happens all the time. Authors get huge advances on books they haven't written yet. Actors get paid $20 million to be in a picture before the picture makes a dime. All based on past performance with no guarantee of future results. God is different in two significant ways. The things he has done, his track record, are not just things he does better than anyone else. They are things no one else can do. He sets up nations and kings, and he takes down nations and kings. Rains down food from heaven. He heals the sick with his word. How about this, speaking of his word? He spoke the universe into existence. This is his record. I love that phrase uh, from, uh, who was it, Tozer, who was uh, asked how he could believe in Jonah and the whale, or how he could believe some of the the more outlandish claims of the Bible. And he said, give me Genesis 1-1 and nothing else poses a problem. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can speak the universe into existence, nothing else really should trouble you if you believe Genesis 1-1. But he's also different in this way. He doesn't say past performance is no guarantee of future results. He doesn't just point to the past. He makes promises, promises about the future. He doesn't just point to what he's done. He points out that what he's done is exactly what he promised to do. So the gift is a two-parter that God gives us in this gift exchange. It's essentially his testimony and his promises. It's his past and the future, our past and the future. God exists in the limitless present. But he gives us a past, he gives us a future. A record and a guarantee. So what is our part in this gift exchange? What do we give him for this past and this present? And I want you, before I answer, I want you to see how important this is. Because he could have shown up revealed himself. We've said this a number of times over the past few years, that the Bible, as we read it, is progressive revelation. They didn't understand everything about God at every point in human history. God revealed himself in certain ways. God could have shown up and manifested himself in power with just a display of random power and simply demanded worship Because he's God. He could just manifest himself as obviously obviously God and say, worship me. I say so. He could have done that. But he doesn't. He gives us his testimony. He actually condescends to convince us to worship him. When he can just take us 
he convinces us to let him buy us and run our lives. He makes a case for himself. That's what I mean by a resume. So that's part of the answer, same as last week. What do we give him in exchange for this? We give him our lives. I'm going a different direction this morning. Let me ask you this. Have you ever seen a celebrity? Ever been in the same room with a celebrity, shaking hands? Ever get an autograph? Get your picture taken with a celebrity? Anybody? Yeah, most of us. I'll uh, share a couple significant moments of my life. I have been patted on the shoulder by both Tommy Smothers and Andy Williams. Yeah. Top that. You know, it wasn't. No, you know what? I think it was. I think right shoulder both times. And it just happened to be where I was sitting, and they were walking right by where I was, and they just sort of, they were probably just leaning on me. <laughs> Full disclosure, both of these performers were past their prime uh, when, I, when I saw them. But it was still cool. Sitting there, our very first trip to Branson. I'm sitting on the aisle seat, and I've got a little selfie, and all you see me stand there with this smug look on my face, and you see Andy Williams from the shoulders down with his hand on my shoulder. It's exciting. Doesn't mean anything, but it's exciting. But have you ever seen, you've seen it, you've been there, how crowds react when there is a celebrity in the room, on the premises, on the street, You've seen videos, you've seen pictures. Sometimes it's an absolute riot. I mean, in a bad sense. People go crazy. You've seen concert videos. I'm thinking back in the Beatles and the Elvis days with people going absolutely berserk, throwing themselves at the stage and at the performers, delirious, screaming, crying, weeping. And it goes way beyond, way beyond simple appreciation for the entertainment that has been provided, doesn't it? You know, when somebody performs, whether it's an athlete, a singer, an actor, and we appreciate the performance, what do we do? We applaud. Whistle. I've been working on that. I read an article. <sighs> Who's got a good finger whistle? Not bad. Heard that that's, a, that's something everybody needs to learn how to do. Everybody used to know how to do it, and hardly anybody does, but the, a whistle, a finger whistle, carries five times farther than the human voice. I'd rather just believe God that I'll never have to whistle for help because <laughs> I'm running out of breath. <laughs> anyway, we whistle, we applaud, we shout. Do you know what that is? It's praise. It's okay. It really is okay. When we recognize somebody, whether we give them a medal, we give them an award, we give them a plaque, that's a form, it's honor, it's praise. But we are rewarding them and praising them for something specific that they have done. When we see people not just praising a performance, but screaming, lunging, crying, decorating their rooms with posters, wearing clothes with their images, and talking nonstop about them, that's closer to worship, isn't it? Just think, if you're at an event, 
you're at a ball game, you're at a movie, you're at a church service even, and somebody draws the audience's attention to a very special guest. Not somebody who's there to speak or perform, they're just there. And you hear something like, we have a very special guest with us tonight, let's give it up for Kanye West. And he stands up and he waves, and everybody's, woo! Some people go crazy. Or, hey, look who's here, it's Clayton Kershaw. Why are we clapping? Is he going to pitch for us tonight? He's just here, and we're glad he's here. Taylor Swift. Name it. Could be a Christian celebrity. And for that matter, if we were in here, if Keith Moore were sitting in here right now, and if I were too stupid to ask him to take the service, or if he just says, nope, I'm just here to worship with your church family, you better believe I would recognize him. I would say, can we please uh, uh, honor Brother Keith Moore? Look who's here. Uh, and I would expect us to honor him with, with a round of applause or an amen or a shout or thank you, Jesus, whatever. Why? In this case, it would be because he's done something, because he's contributed something to the body of Christ that whether you realize it or not, you've all benefited from with his great teaching on faith. But not because he's preaching that day, just because, hey, we recognize you in our midst and we want to recognize you. We want to honor you. And it really is okay up to a point. We can honor people. We're called to honor people. Worship God and honor the king, right? But I am trying to demonstrate here with all this, all these silly illustrations, is that it is not outside our nature And it is not unfamiliar to us to give honor, to give praise, and to even worship. It's built into us to do it, to react that way. But only one is truly worthy worthy of all honor, all glory, all praise, and our worship. And he has done great things for you. When we praise God, it is the whole package. We do not just praise him for what he's done. We praise him for who he is. We are not just celebrating his presence. We are praising him for what he has done for us. So many people getting so much honor, so much praise, and they've done nothing for me, nothing for you. God has done great things for me. He's done great things for you. And... He has made great promises to you and to me. And here we are, in the midst of this season, celebrating the fulfillment of one of the greatest promises in Scripture. Not just a promise made, a promise repeated, a promise reminded, a promise foreshadowed again and again and again through hundreds of years of Scripture and prophecy. The promise of the Messiah, the promise of a Savior, God with us. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, and we look at how Jesus himself fulfilled the promises of God. He delivered, he fed, he suffered, he died, he rose from the dead. His track record is perfect. His promises are sure. And he promises not only to heal 
to protect, to provide, and prosper us. He promises that he's coming back. And he promises, promises, that we will live eternally with him. This is a huge promise. This is a huge promise. Now, I agree. Let me just say this. I am utterly convinced that the testimony of the Bible is true. I don't doubt one word of it. It says God did this. I know God did it. And his promises are clear. And I believe God means them. I have struggled, as have you. This is a promise. I see the track record. I know the God who made the promise, and yet I'm having difficulty seeing this promise manifested in my life. Go back to the track record and thank him and praise him for what he's done. Remind yourself that the promise is real. Don't waste undue time scratching your head, worrying and wondering about the not yet. Just thank him for the promise. You will see it. But in the midst of all these day-to-day promises, which are real and which I believe God has given us faith to bring them manifestly into our lives, and I'm talking about that protection, that healing, that provision, that prosperity. I believe God wants these things for us. I believe we're to speak them out. I believe we're to take those seriously. But let's don't let them outshine the jewel of the promise, which is, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come back and receive you to myself. We are going to live forever with God, with Jesus our Savior. That's a promise, and it's huge. It's a gift. A promise like that means that even when I fail to see everything that I want to see, this side of the grave, that it ultimately doesn't matter. It doesn't hold a candle to the ultimate promise, which is eternal life. It's a gift. His past is not a mystery to us. What we perceive as the past, the ancient of days. He doesn't just show up and say, hey, I'm God and I promise I'll do this for you. He says, look at what I have done and I will do this for you. He also doesn't just say, look at what I've done, worship me for that. He says, look at what I've done, and I'll do this for you. He gives us the past. He gives us the promise. What do we give him? We give him the praise. Praise for, his, for the past and for the promises. That's the gift exchange. Praise for the past and praise for the promise. We are not, again, we are not unaccustomed to praise. We're just stingy with it when it comes to the one who truly deserves it. Let's not be like that. Let's not be like that anymore. Let's be generous with our praise. Let's be generous with our worship. Generous with our songs of worship. Our words of worship. And in our deeds of worship. Going back to the original illustration, your family business is in a mess, going down the tubes, and there's a new CEO calling, and he wants to buy you out. Stand up with me. I'm speaking to the person or people in here who may not know Jesus yet. He wants to buy you out. 
This is something we have to understand. goes back again to last week, things we've talked about before. When we pray for deliverance, when we pray for salvation, God doesn't save the day and he doesn't save us by showing up, giving us everything we want, and then disappearing from our lives. He does promise to fix everything, but only if he's in charge. He must be Lord if he's going to be Savior. Are you going to sell? Price is high. That's the other interesting thing. Nobody else can see the value. Nobody else thinks it's worth saving. Why would I pay for a dime? Why would I pay a dime for a company that's in that bad of shape? Why would anybody give anything for you, for your messed up life? God sees value. What's it worth? What What are you worth to him? You're worth the blood and the life of his son. That's the price he paid. He is the only one willing to pay that price. He's the only one able to pay that price. The death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God on a cross, the debt we speak of is a sin debt. And that debt has to be paid in life, has to be paid in blood. And here's the great news. He already paid it. When he comes, he says, uh, when we finally realize this, the light goes off, we realize my life it isn't, it isn't worth anything. It's going down the tubes. I'm a dead man already. There's only one way to be saved. God has to buy me back, has to buy me out. And then we find this out. And we're thinking, oh, no. God, please, please do this. Please, please save me. And God says, guess what? Price is already paid. Paid it 2,000 years ago with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. What do we got to do? We just have to sign on the dotted line. How do we do that? If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are under new ownership. You are a new you. You have a new life. If you've never made that decision before, I'm talking about a personal decision. If you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never acknowledged, God, I, there's some things that I think are pretty cool about me. There's some things that are pretty good shape about me. But at the center, I know I am lost. I'm dead. I need a Savior. I need God in my life. Maybe you woke up one morning and realized this life is short. And I do believe in heaven and hell. And God help me. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell. I need to know. God says, I can guarantee you heaven. But you've got to put me in charge. I'm buying you out. Will you sell today? If you desire to make that decision, you're going to have an opportunity here in just a few seconds. I'm going to close this message in a prayer. We're going to sing a song. When I say amen, they start singing. You want to give your life to Christ? Come up here and let me pray with you. Everybody else, guess what? He has given you a multitude of reasons to worship him and praise him this morning. He has given you a record of his perfect past. He has given you a record of his precious promises. Can we do any less than give him full honor, worship, and praise this morning? Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.